This is the ninth episode in the healing series, and a few episodes back, God did something very genius. He brought along Rich Lewis, and Rich shared about centering prayer. And the reason that I felt like it was genius is because we had been diving into some hard topics, hitting some hard things, wrestling with this idea of healing, and God brought about a great way to respond to that. Silence. Centering prayer. And then we hit a few more episodes, and it got harder. And then God brought Marty along. And Marty helps us press into the value of supportive community. Now, we talk about it largely in the context of Alcoholics Anonymous, Narcotics Anonymous, but right from the start, Marty presses in that this is beyond just substance abuse addictions. We actually all are in recovery from something, and we can all benefit from having these types of supportive spaces where you can be yourself, be authentic, and be accepted. But those spaces can be hard to find. Now, Marty is unique in this series because like Will, she is one of the few people that I actually knew going into this. Marty and I go way back and Marty is authentic. And I appreciate so many of the ways that Marty has given her life to loving God and loving others. I think you'll appreciate what she has to share too. But I want to encourage you that in this episode, what I want you to hear is that we're not meant to operate in silos, either individually or in how we engage with others, and that God might be calling us to a very different way of functioning. You're listening to episode 71 of the Where Did You See God podcast. Father God, I just want to thank you that you are God and you are good. And I just thank you first for how you have worked in and through Marty's life and through into the neighborhood and through just simply the home that you gave them. And I thank you for our friendship and for this conversation. And I really do believe it was your prompting. And so we just want to release it to you. I really feel like there's something you were doing around the topic of healing. And so if there's anything you want us to say, anything you want us to sit in, anything you want us to talk about, guide our thoughts and our words and our questions. Yes. But above all, we just pray that you are glorified and we pray that all of this points to you. Let's pray his holy name. Amen. Amen. So this episode is different because Marty is not a stranger to me. And Marty and I go way back and have been friends for quite some time and have shared many stories and challenges and many moments where we just kind of nodded our head as the other was talking because yeah there are just things we both kind of get <laughs> and, true. Yeah. and so the reason that marty is on this episode is because on the episode with rachel talking about domestic abuse she shared about just the healing she found in the support group and being able to share her story for her story to be affirmed and I didn't think of Marty because of that. God actually brought Marty to my mind out of nowhere. And it made sense to me because that's something that Marty has engaged with both in organic and structured ways. And so Marty, to kick it off, see, I know you, but the people don't know you. And so here's my question. You have the opportunity to tell the world about you, but you are given a postcard to do it. And whatever you want to say to the world has to fit on that postcard. And you can't squeeze it under the address or anything like that. It's only on that left-hand side. What does the Marty postcard say? Oh, 
come on. <laughs> that is so not fair. <laughs> so Marty is first and foremost, a lover and follower of Jesus Christ. And secondly, a lover of people, or I do my darndest anyway. I am a wife of one. Lewis happens to be an ordained pastor, which I never thought I would get married to a pastor. Um, that's a whole nother podcast, I think. The biggest thing I would want people to know, um, especially with the current population that we're working with, is all of us are broken. All of us are, and I'm one of them, all of us are in recovery from something. I am no better or no worse than anybody else that I encounter in life. And so I'm just trying to do what the Bible calls us to do. And that's loving him first and foremost, and then loving others. And, um, and then making disciples who will then make disciples who make disciples. But I'm not in this to proselytize or to force people to believe like I do. It's the Holy Spirit's job to woo people. It's my job to love people. And when they ask, Marty, why don't you do what you do? Then it's my job to say, let me tell you about my Jesus. And this is why I do what I do. Because he saved me from a pretty wretched life and walks with me and talks with me throughout the day and strengthens me and etc. I could go on and on about Jesus, but don't ask me to tell too much about myself. That's kind of hard. So <laughs> Well, what I love is since I know you, I not only know all that to be true, what you just shared, but also to be authentic and particularly what you shared about, you know, we're all broken. Like that's not just some tagline for you. Like it actually shapes how you cultivate and honor the relationships that you're a part of. And so to that end, the whole idea that's been in my mind in this conversation with you, because you and I could, I mean, I could do a whole Marty and Lewis season <laughs> so many stories even it was funny i was talking to chris Sinshuk and uh, telling him i was going to be spending some time with you in conversation and he's like oh they went through some like healing stuff too i was like oh man we're not even talking about that so there's a lot of stories that we could talk about but you know when we last got together one thing you shared is you were taking some steps at becoming better equipped to walk with folks who are in recovery and I think just to start off, like, I really appreciate what you shared about how we need to reshape our perception and how we need to step in and with humility. But how do you see recovery and recovery spaces? I mean, just based off of what you just said, and based off of what people assume it to be, when you talk about recovery and recovery groups and things like that, what does that mean for you? Sure. So if you'd asked me that question you know, a couple of years ago, I would say primarily we're talking about people who are recovering from addictions in the traditional form, drugs, alcohol, gambling, porn, those types of things that we as the church are, you know, grasp the pearls and oh, shock and I can't believe that has happened and can't believe that person did that. But over the years, I have really come to change my view on what recovery is about, because like I said earlier, we are all in recovery from something. And it could be that I'm a recovering Pharisee, 
which is one of my taglines for myself. I am in recovery from a dysfunctional family system growing up, or I'm a recovering materialistic type person. I'm recovering from my greed or my pride. There are all kinds of sins and things that we are in recovery from as we become more and more like Jesus. The people that I spend a lot of my time with more recently are people who are truly struggling from addictions like opiate and heroin, drug addictions, as well as alcohol. But there's also the addiction to the street and that lifestyle. And there's addictions to a lot of different things that we're into it. So someone can be abstaining from something, but still not be in recovery. So they can stop drinking, but are still behaving in that lifestyle and behave a lot like someone addicted to alcohol. So there's this holistic healing that takes place of body, mind, soul, spirit, not just the physical addiction to the substance. Yeah. When you said in recovery and you didn't say fixing, so what's the difference? You know, you, it, that's a, seems like a continuing thing sure. instead of it being a past tense. Sure. So recovery is a process every day, one day at a time. We know that tagline, but one day at a time, just for today, just for the next minute, it's not my job to fix anybody. I can't fix anybody. That's, you know, that's laughable to think that I could actually fix someone. So a friend of mine who's in the recovery scene taught me a, a term that I have soon embraced as my own, but it's not our job to fix manager control. And so, and then we've added on to it, even manipulate. So it's not my job to fix, manage, control, or manipulate and to let go of things. So the, you know, it sounds cliche, but it's true to let go and let God is truly part of the healing process is to let go of the situation that we are trying to control. And that might be tied to a traditional or the way we look at addiction from a standpoint of drugs and alcohol. But what if we let go of stressing about our children's education, especially during the COVID scene? Now, I say this is someone who has not raised a child, don't have children in the home, but what does it look like to let go of the control of what school looks like and trust God in this process of COVID? What does it look like to let go of, oh my gosh, if my kid doesn't have a 4.18 GPA and get into the best school, they're going to be a failure. Or what, oh my gosh, what if they don't even go to college and have a trade instead? And letting go of some of these things that culture puts on us or we put on ourselves or on one another to let God control. Because truly, if we believe what the Bible says, truly, truly believe. God has a plan for us and that plan is good, not for destruction. Then why do we worry as much as we do? So that's part of my, even my own story of letting go and letting God with my finances, with my calendar, with my car, my possessions, my home, and trusting God in that process. That's the beauty of what Jesus shares too, when he says that he wants us to die to everything, because what he knows that we're missing is 
as long as you have things you're not dying to, what you've described is incredibly hard. Because when you mention parents in schooling, there may be parents who will listen that will automatically have a list of all that could go wrong in their heads. And I think we have that for everything. We just know how bad things can get if they don't go the way they're supposed to go. And then Jesus says, well, if you die to all that, then it really doesn't matter how any of those things go. But even that, that's a hard, hard calling. So I love that. And I love the idea of recognizing that we do go into these things trying to control or manage or solve or manipulate. And sometimes with the best of intentions, right? The best of intentions, but, but we miss the mark. Basically, you're creating this space where you're addressing what your motives and actions should and shouldn't be. You've talked about addressing with humility how to see someone not as a lesser or worse person, but that we're all in recovery. So why does a space like that become so valuable? I mean, somebody could say, well, what, are you just sitting in a room and talking about stuff? Like, why do those kind of spaces hold so much power for healing? I think it was like five or six years ago, we started going into the Richmond City Jail, doing a program called Jobs for Life. So we spent a lot of time there with the men and the women walking through what it's like to not only find a job and obtain that job but keep that job, but also to flourish in that job. So just through that process of learning and listening to situations that people were in gave me a whole new light into what it is to be addicted to drugs and alcohol and the street life. And as the individual started coming out and going into different recovery residences within the Richmond area, it opened up a whole nother avenue of places that we could serve, places that we could listen. And it's really hard, quite frankly, for us to have many of these conversations because in some cases, we as the church haven't treated people all so well mm. and have not been really welcoming to them. And, and we've been really judgmental about our friends who are brothers and sisters. It's like they're going to hell because they are, you know, struggling with an addiction, which I don't believe to be true at all. Because again, we are all struggling with something. We're all recovering from something and theirs just happens to be an addiction to drugs or alcohol. Our approach is really just to love people and let them know that they're loved by God as well. Love is so important because we are already so shamed by society and, and the addiction scene. Just like Adam and Eve, what did they do? They went and hid after their sin. They went and hid, they realized they were naked. And so God goes, hello, where are you? He knew, he knew where they were, but he went seeking after them with love. And so that's what we are trying to do is even in someone's shame, even in someone's embarrassment, it's not ours to pile on to that, but to point them towards the ultimate lover of our father, God, the father. And so being able to just sit and listen without judgment is so key because sometimes it's the first time it's ever happened. Yeah. People. And then for the church to do it, or, and by church, I mean the body of Christ, not, not necessarily building, but the body of Christ to listen without judgment and without, again, the idea that I'm their savior or that I can fix them because I can't, 
but just so that they see that they are heard without judgment. Mm -hmm. One of the funny things is one of the houses, the girls in the houses refer to our volunteers as the church ladies. Mm. Oh, the church ladies are coming. And finally, I was like, dude, stop. I have a name. Can you call me by Marty? <laughs> Can you call me by Marty? And they're like, yeah. And they're like, why? Why don't you like church lady? And I'm like, because the church hasn't always been so nice. The church hasn't always been so welcoming and loving. And that I, so sometimes I have a hard time with that. Just again, being transparent and honest with them about where I am. And it was so funny, that, but they're like, okay, we'll call you Marty, but, but you're still the church lady because you're changing what church looks like to me is what mm -hmm. she said. You're changing my view of the church and how the church really should be acting and how they really should be loving. And so you're changing my view just as I'm changing your view about what an addict looks like. And I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. Okay, church lady is not so bad. Still don't like it. Still <laughs> like my name better, but it's okay. Yeah. And so it's, it's good to know that we can, in our words and our actions, show up and change people's perceptions of one another. Yeah. What, what you're talking on too, I mean, if we want to press it deeper, if we told people not to be judgmental, 99% of people who claim to be Christians would say, yeah, I'm not judgmental. I don't want to be judgmental. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to go in this space and I'm not going to judge this person. But what we find is that just thinking about what we're not going to do and not going to be sometimes falls apart when something taps into one of our existing biases, prejudices, fears, sources of pride. And what you're describing is really naming what you are going to do, which is namely and simply, you have decided in those interactions, you are going to love that person. But when you say that, you are also saying, I'm going to love them no matter what they reveal to me, no matter if they follow through and come back every week, no matter if they this, that, or the other, even if they hurt me, even if they lie to me. And you didn't say this, but I know you well enough that that's what you are saying. When you're saying you're not going to judge somebody for their story, you are actually resolving to love them, even if the worst thing happens. Even if the relapse happens mm -hmm. and they disappear, Yep. which happens, unfortunately, way too often that mm -hmm. someone we've walked with for quite some time relapses and goes back to their old life. It doesn't mean we love them any less. When they show up, we throw a party, just like the prodigal son's father did. We throw a party and like, yay, there's no shaming involved. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you're back. Cool. Let's pick up where we left off and, and let's talk about what might be different this time around than it was last time. Well, let's press that even more because when it comes to how we define success and failure, most people would say that the purpose of something like a recovery group is to fix the problem, which you've already addressed, but that's what most people think. And so then if somebody relapses or doesn't follow through, then they failed and it's a restart. Sounds like what you're saying is what success looks like in those spaces isn't fixing. It's something different. So what, I don't want to use the word success, but I want to press against the notion, like what is something worth celebrating? How can it still be good? Even if somebody relapses multiple times? So Paul, that's a really great question because I think about Proverbs 24, 
I think it's verse 16. The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. The successes, you're getting back up again. And I don't know about you, because I, I think all of us can relate to this analogy, right? That we've all been on a diet at some point. And we go by the freezer and we're like, that butter pecan ice cream is inside the freezer. <laughs> and we pick it back up again and we fix ourselves, not just one scoop, but three scoops of our favorite ice cream. Does that mean that we're a failure? No, not at all. That is about, okay, tomorrow I'm going to start all over again. We don't just sit down and then eat the whole gallon, hopefully. Maybe if it's a bad day, we might. But tomorrow we're going to pick it back up. Or I'm not ready yet. I'm not ready to go on that diet. I've got too much stress going on. I've got too much going on in my life to meal plan and meal prep. And so we, we push it off. It's no different. We can come up with all kinds of excuses as to why we don't want to work on ourselves and make the hard choices. But to celebrate when someone is ready, that's when you're like, yes, they're back. And we want to throw a party and support them and hold hope for them until they're strong enough to hold hope for themselves. Mm -hmm. One of the things that's most challenging is love doesn't look like us buying them everything, getting them everything set up. Love in this case oftentimes looks like no, or love looks like doing for someone something they aren't able to do for themselves. But if they're able to do it for themselves, then we're going to be their biggest cheerleaders. So we may pay for someone's rent or bed fees for a week or two to get, you know, when they just come back home or help find grant money that's available for them for their bed fees. But it doesn't mean that we're going to set them up with everything that they need. Mm -hmm. Dignity is doing it for yourself because you can. You know, I think one of the challenges in this is we really wrestle with putting our own expectations of people of where they should be and what they should do and what they should not do. And we really struggle with accepting someone, basically what you just said, celebrating their steps forward mm -hmm. versus asking, why aren't you at the finish line yet? Why haven't you fixed this? Why haven't you solved this? That's not only an issue that's going to impact us when we're doing that, but for the other person, it can actually stifle progress because it can either push the expectation that perfection is the goal or make any progress seem useless if it's not substantial progress. But that's one thing I love about um, entities like Alcoholics Anonymous and the pins, that there is a celebration for one day, one day that is good. And it is not sarcastic. It's not made light of it. It's actually celebrated as an amazing thing. And I actually remember seeing somebody, and it was in a community Bible study, who asked for prayer around addictions that they were working through. And someone else asked her, if you don't mind me asking you, how long have you been sober? And she's like, not even a day. And she's like, well, we're going to celebrate right now. And we're going to pray for the next day. That's right. right. And it's so different than our mentality of, oh, you have this issue and it needs to be fixed. Everything in between it is inconsequential. It's the fixed, that's the goal. But we're talking about people in recovery. We're talking about people on journey. And we're talking about people that are also us, which I think it, we need to keep coming back to where you started. As long as we see ourselves outside of this notion, then we will forever position ourselves above people. And we don't know the harm that can come even when we feel like our hearts are in the right place. Exactly. I recently took what's called a PRS, a peer recovery specialist class. 
I'm moving towards getting my certification and getting registered and whatnot. But one of the things that I wrote in there is that I'm not in recovery from a standpoint of drugs and alcohol, et cetera, but I have, you know, a whole list of things that I'm in recovering from and working towards for myself. And because I wasn't even quite sure I would be considered a peer in that case, because even in my own, after doing this for a number of years now, I'm like, am I a peer or not? Am I not a peer or how does this all work? And talking to the facilitator, I was warmly welcomed and it made me feel good. It's like, okay. And so I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves that doesn't need to be there. And sometimes we put a lot of pressure on other people because we don't recognize our own need for recovery and healing from our own stuff. Yeah. So I want to tap into two things with that then, because somebody could just take this conversation as, oh, that was a conversation about AA and NA and groups for people recovering from substance abuse addiction. But what you and I know is the type of spaces that we're talking about in that specific context are actually valuable for everyone, like these safe spaces to be able to process and share and affirm and support are incredibly vital for everyone. And I do want to talk about that, but the challenge I think to get there is what you were just saying that sometimes we question our capacity to create something like that. And and as you were sharing, it reminded me of a moment I had where, I mean, it's still happening, but there was a point a few years ago where I realized God was bringing a lot of people into my life that wrestled with different substances enough that a a couple of them had to spend some time in rehab. And I was invited to walk with them through that process. And in the midst of that, I'm thinking, I've never taken any of these drugs that they're talking about. Like, how can I be supportive of them when I don't know what they've experienced? One of them asked me to be his sponsor. I was like, can I technically be your sponsor if I, like, I don't. (laughs) And I was really struck by the reality that what it meant, and this is the answer to one of the questions, what it meant is that my capacity to provide support wasn't based on me and my experiences or anything like that. It was based on God's capacity and my willingness. Was I willing to be on my front porch (laughs) and have conversations knowing that God can bring the rest? And he also does use, as you've talked about several times, my own recognition of spaces where God's brought me to a place of humility and the ability to like drop pride and say, if I think I'm better than anyone. (laughs) So I would love to hear your thoughts on either of those pieces. One, why those spaces are valuable for everyone. And and two, how do we create that? If the church, like you said, has not done a great job at seeing and loving people, how do we actually create those kind of healthy spaces of community and support? You know, one of the things that we talk about in peer recovery is to speak from your own lived experience. And so I think first and foremost, one of the things that we have to do is to first take a hard look at ourselves, do our own self-inventory, moral inventory of who we are and how we go about life. If we're going to use the Bible as our standard, how are we going to address all the ways that we're not meeting the standard? Mm. I think first beginning that work on ourselves so that we can approach it with a genuine humility towards what's going on that I'm just as jacked up as the next person, but God, but God came in and am I looking for perfection? Is God looking for perfection? Thankfully, no. 
And so first being willing to take our masks off, and I don't mean our COVID surgical masks, but the facades that we have, that everything's great. Somebody looks at you and goes, so how are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. Mm-hmm. When really we're about to fall apart. Yeah. And you're really, and you had a really rough day, but are we going to be brave enough? Are we going to be courageous enough to say, no, you know what? I'm not okay. And here's why. Now you want to save the more private, more intimate things to share with trusted people, not just the random person go, hi, how are you today? What if we just got real with one another and said, I'm really having a bad day today. Mm-hmm. And then not try and fix one another in the process. Mm-hmm. Have you tried this? And have you done this? And you, you need to put your kids on a schedule or you need to do yeah. this. If you exercise more, maybe, you know, all of those things that we want to pipe in and add, but just be present and go, gosh, I, I really hate to hear that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. You know, I've had some hard days too. Tell me about yours. And we're not saying that to one up one another with our crises and our stuff but more from a standpoint of being able to relate with one another that, Paul, you're not alone in this. Mm-hmm. I worry about finances too, or I worry about this too. And, and, and have those real conversations. Are we as the church brave enough and courageous enough to do that yeah. with one another? And then to go do it with people who we don't necessarily know or who don't even profess to be Christians. When that hits at the reality that sometimes we don't actually know what needs to be fixed. Like sometimes we see the overt thing that is the issue. And that's when we start offering the solutions. And then we're surprised when it doesn't fix the person <laughs> or doesn't fix the thing. Figure. <laughs> Going back to something like a, an addiction to a substance, just because that can be easier to give an example of. Someone could say to someone who struggles with alcohol, well, just stop drinking alcohol. Just keep the alcohol away from you. And the reality is, is that a lot of people who are struggling with alcoholism don't want to struggle with, like don't want to necessarily drink. If the church context, the other relational contexts are those masked contexts of, Hey, how are you doing? Everything's fine. Like if we don't have these spaces where we know we can be our authentic self and someone will still love us that we don't have to put on a mask out of fear that someone will judge us or reject us. Like we don't have those spaces. Then when we are hit with sadness or frustration or anger or fear, we respond in whatever ways we respond. And there's something beautiful that when somebody is seen, sometimes that actually brings a healing that then can end up healing the other thing. But even in saying that the goal isn't to fix all the problems. We see this with Jesus, right? If that was the goal that we should pursue, and we're saying that we're Christ followers, then that would have meant that when Christ saw that Judas was pulling from the money bag, he would have immediately stopped him. When Jesus knew that Peter was going to deny him, he would immediately stopped him because Jesus allowed Peter to do something really hurtful. (laughs) Right. And let's go back to the Lord's Supper. Jesus, you know, had the Lord's Supper. He washed their feet knowing that they were going to be betrayed. I mean, seriously, washing the feet of people who you know are going to betray you and then giving them permission, telling Judas, go ahead, go do what you got to do. Yeah. Because things can't happen until you do. Yeah. So keep it moving. Yeah. I am floored by that kind of grace and mercy and love. 
I, I can't wrap my head around it because I can't say I would I would do the same. But it just models that it doesn't matter how Christ-like someone is or isn't just changing our perception of everyone's an image bearer of God mm-hmm. and loving them as such. When you really wake up every morning and go, who do you want me to love today, God? How can I love them well? What does it look like to love my kids well, my husband well, my neighbors well, my coworkers, the person at the grocery store, mm-hmm. the Democrat versus the Republican, the different races, whoever it is that we might find ourselves struggling with? How can I love well? Mm-hmm. In our own flesh, we can we can't do jack. Yeah. And in Christ, that's the only way I'm possible because if you get up close and personal with me, it ain't so pretty. Mm-hmm. So John Wesley back in the day, did something called the Holy Clubs. One of the things that they did was the 22 questions. And this is the self-examination. So this is one of the things that I'm really trying to practice at doing is asking myself, and I don't always make it through all 22, but the next day I might start at the bottom instead of the top and just really reflecting on the questions that he's asking, such as, Am I honest in all my acts and words, or do I exaggerate? Am I a slave to dress, friends, work, or other habits? Did the Bible live in me today? And did I give it time to speak to me every day? So really, here's a good one. Do I grumble or complain constantly? <laughs> I had to do is look at some people's Facebook feeds and figure it out <laughs> now, right? And this helps keep me humble. Yeah. And I appreciate you sharing that because one of the things I was going to ask is how does someone get to that place that you kicked this off describing of being willing to do humble introspection? And so even a simple list of questions, if we are willing to work through and ask ourselves, well, how do I engage in these spaces? I think that one thing that stops us from doing that is a pride and a pride that comes from a fear, right? That we don't want to be less than we think we are. Like we don't want to be failures. We don't want to be issues or we don't want to make mistakes. We want to be the best that we can be. And there's this fear that can turn into pride that could lead us to respond like Peter at the last supper where Jesus knew what the disciples needed. He wanted to do something that would show the full extent of his love and was washing their feet. And Peter's reaction coming from a space of pride was no, you are not going to wash my feet, Jesus, never. He was ready to reject the thing that Jesus was offering him. So we could do the same thing when it comes to recovery. And we can actually reject the healing that God might be offering us because we're afraid of being seen in need of recovery. We can think of recovery and think of those people who wrestle with addictions and position ourselves above that. And miss the fact that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, that all of us are not meant to be self-sufficient, doing our own thing to achieve perfection. We were designed for community. So our pride can cause us to miss out on this. What would you say to someone that's right on the cusp of being able to press into introspection? I would encourage them to take the next right step. Mm. Take the next right step, which is you know, sitting with the Lord and doing it. And that's the term that we use in the recovery world of take the next right step. You're not having to jump in head first into the deep end of the pool. Just, just stick your toe into it. 
a little bit at a time. And the thing I love about the Lord, and it talks about it in James when he talks about looking at yourself in the mirror. I used to picture that mirror as, you know, the what not to wear 360. And thank God that's not how it is. That it's it's really more the shape of like a compact mirror that he's going to reveal one little piece at a time. Mm. If we saw that 360 what not to wear of who we are and all of our sin and all of our stuff, I don't know about you, Paul, but I would be curled up in a fetal position someplace, mm-hmm. not getting out of the bed, crying. I'd be a, a big mess. Thankfully, the Lord is gracious and kind and loving. And so he's going to show us that one little bit at a time. And he goes, you know what? This is the part I want to work on today. Let's talk about this. Let's sit with this. Let's sit with your pride. Let's sit with your greed. Let's sit with your need for acknowledgement or words of affirmation. Am I not enough for you? Let's talk about that for a minute. Mm-hmm. Is my love and words for you not enough? And just sitting with him in that and letting him minister to your heart, mind, soul, and spirit that, yeah, you are enough. Mm-hmm. And letting go of some of that need for recognition, yeah. for example, that many of us are tied to. I think about COVID, many people, and obviously I am so brokenhearted about the people who are dying due to COVID. I'm brokenhearted for my friends who are dying of overdoses because of COVID and because of the lack of community that's happened, that many people have felt isolated and are using alone and therefore overdosing. And it's been just such a hard season for so many people. But on the other hand, I see so much about what God's doing in the midst of it as well. If we let him expose our addictions to things that we were cut off from for a while, whether it be concerts or football games, school, all of those things that we made priorities in exposing our idols to us. I don't want us as the body of Christ to miss out on opportunities because we're so busy looking at all of the horrible things that are happening that we miss the opportunities that God really wants to use to shape us and to heal us and to say, what are you working on today? So that we can sit with one another in our difficulty. You made reference to the tough time that Lewis and I have had over the last couple of years with a simple fall on the deck that he broke the leg and ended up dying. He dies from a broken leg, right? And all of that that we went through, am I praising God for it? No, (laughs) I am not. But I can certainly see the things that God did through those six months to a year with a six-month hospital stay that God really wanted to shape me Mm -hmm. in the process of it. And so in some ways I'm thankful, not quite there that I'm rejoicing in my suffering, but there was a time period that all I could do was cry and all I, and I was just a mess, just a hot mess. And I even did a talk at a local church during that time period. And I thought I was together enough Mm -hmm. to keep it. No, it didn't happen. But what I learned about it, because I'm like, in some ways I was mortified because all I did, I felt like I cried in front of this group of women. And, but what I'm finding out now, a couple of years later is that that event 
was very meaningful for the women of that church because I was real with them mm. and they saw me broken, messy, and I couldn't hide it if I wanted to. I just couldn't. There was there was no strength to hold a mask up anymore. It gave people in that church or the women anyway permission to really start opening up about the stuff that's going on in their lives. And so I am grateful for that. I'm grateful that my suffering and my difficult time did make a significant impact on a body of women. Yeah. And that's a beautiful picture of that verse that I think I mentioned now in every podcast episode is to him who's able to do abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. For you, the best case scenario would have been, Marty, hold it together and give a really good presentation and share this message and encourage everyone. Like that would have been the best case scenario. And God knew something you didn't that through your, what felt like humiliating tears, transformation came, healing came for people that didn't even know that they needed it because they went to hear a good presentation. And this is, you know, this kind of brings it all home and you and I can easily talk for much longer, but that's really what we're talking about when we're talking about these spaces of support, these spaces for healthy recovery for anyone, whether it's recovering from addiction or recovering from whatever it is, is we're talking about a space where, like you said, you know that you can remove the mask and still be welcomed, still be accepted, still be loved. We are so doubtful that those places exist and so fearful that we might think they exist and then we're fooled and they don't that we won't actually open up. But when we're able to be authentically ourselves, there is something that happens within us and and beyond us. But we've said it a few times, the sad reality is we have not done a good job at creating those spaces. And we've got to figure that out. Yeah. You know, I think I'll leave this with two thoughts. I guess one is we have to practice at taking the masks off Mm. and be real. But we also need to practice at sitting with people who are broken and not trying to fix them and providing those safe spaces. And so there's roles, at least two roles that I can think of. One, being vulnerable and courageous enough and brave enough to keep it real, for real, for real. And then to be bold enough and courageous enough to just sit there and listen without trying to fix and holding space and being present for someone. And that sometimes isn't saying a word, but just being a listening ear and saying, I hear you and I see you. And there's a loving father who sees you too. Was it Hagar that said, he is the God who sees me. He's the lifter of our heads. And so how can we be that for those who are broken? You will walk, you will run. Dance through the streets, shouting praise to the one. You're healed, you're clean. Go out, tell the people what you've seen. Revived in him, new life in him. There's a passage I really love that I feel like hits well many of the themes that Marty brought up in this conversation. Themes around humility, themes around the importance of community, And themes around this idea of things being incomplete when we are self-sufficient and isolated. And that passage is Philippians 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, 
Then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. What I love about this passage is that we often miss one of the most important points that it makes here. Verse 1 has a lot of you statements. If you have any encouragement, if you have any comfort, if you share in the Spirit. And these yous are all singular. It's as though the Apostle Paul is saying, look, if you individually are experiencing something with Christ, if you really want to make my joy complete, if you want to find fullness, then, and then verse 2 hits into a bunch of you statements that are actually plural. You all should be like-minded. You all should have the same love. You all should be one in spirit and one of mind. What he's getting at is that we operate in a way where we experience God individually, but if we really want to find fullness, if we really want to find complete joy, that happens in community. That happens when we experience and explore God together. But the problem is we struggle with that because we tend to have hierarchical thinking, whether it's based on power, whether it's based on sin, whatever it's based on, we tend to position ourselves above others. And that's where verse three comes in. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. And verse four continues, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And then verse 5 on brings it home. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Here's the thing. We all desire unity. We all desire people to be in a good place. But what we don't desire is to have the same mindset of Christ, who gave up so much of what he was owed and what he deserved as an act of serving others, as an act of profound love to others. He humbled himself. He humiliated himself. He took the form of a servant and was willing to go so far as death, even death on the cross. And we are unwilling sometimes to interact with someone that we think is lower than us. We are unwilling sometimes to give of ourselves because we're afraid we'll get taken advantage of, or we're concerned that somebody might not actually deserve it. This is not what Christ demonstrated. Christ constantly, in love, gave of himself to those that others had written off, but who he saw as worthy of love, as made in the image of God. It is vital to our healing that we have these communal spaces. We've heard this in many of the stories already in this season, where some of the most profound healing came through interaction with others. But that healing came because of authentic love, because of people willing to not just operate in their own interests, but out of the interests, out of the good of others. And we're only able really to do that when we allow God to love through us, because in and of ourselves, we struggle to even catch a glimpse of what it means to love as God loves. There are people around us hurting. There are people around you hurting. 
that could actually find so much healing simply by you authentically being present, authentically listening, and authentically loving. And just as Marty mentioned, not as an act of fixing or as a badge of honor, but as an act of humble love, selfless love, unconditional love. Sometimes that simple act of allowing somebody to be themselves without fear of retribution or abandonment can have a more profound impact than our greatest ideas. God can do abundantly more than we can ask or imagine if we let the Spirit work. And that's your invitation today. Someone in your network could actually benefit from you being willing to love as we've talked about today by you being willing to make space for them to be themselves and to be loved regardless of what they say, share, or do. This isn't for your benefit. This is an opportunity to live out the greatest commandments, to love God and love others. So find that opportunity to love and then ask yourself, where did you see God? Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Where Did You See God podcast. And I would love for your stories to be a part of it as well. So there are a number of ways that you can do that. You can check out our Facebook page at Where Did You See God podcast. You can go to anchor.fm slash Where Did You See God, or you can leave a brief voice message at 804-372-3836. I would love to hear your stories. And if the stories you've heard have encouraged you, Uh, think of someone else who could be encouraged as well and share it with them. The music you've been listening to is You'll Walk, You'll Run by Urban Doxology. They are a solid group and you will love listening to the rest of the music. So check them out. And as always, as you go through your day, ask yourself, where did you see God?